Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the second season of Criminalia. This season we are exploring the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious stalkers throughout history. I'm Maria Tremarki. And I'm Holly Fry. And today we are going to meet a woman named Lady Georgiana Fane. She was an English heiress who is known for basically two things. One, for a portrait that was painted of her when she was about five years old and dressed as a peasant girl. (laughs) And two, for stalking Arthur Wellesley, who is better known as the Duke of Wellington and a hero of Waterloo. So the Duke was once quoted as saying... The only thing I'm afraid of is fear. And that's a worthy quote for a general. If that sentiment sounds familiar, though, um, there's a more famous modern iteration of it echoed by our president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, in his 1933 inaugural address. And 
he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And frankly, I think Thoreau wrote something like that as well. This is a statement that kind of gets floated around a bit. Yeah. Well, and I think people quote it all the time without even thinking about attribution one way or another. So. I think so, too. Absolutely. Um, but OK, so going back to Wellington for a second, after meeting Georgiana, he might have reconsidered what he was afraid of because there is quite a story here. Right. So for some context on who she was, Georgiana Fane was born Lady Cecily Jane Georgiana Fane in 1801. And at the time, 19th century England was going through a period of rapid economic development due to the Industrial Revolution. Sometimes it's also called the First Industrial Revolution. As part of the upper class or aristocracy, Georgiana's family held powerful positions, and that gave them a lot of authority over others. It gave them better living conditions and better facilities over just the rest of the population. Right. And and many of them perhaps not really surprisingly, did not work. Uh, instead, they often made investments to create profits for themselves. Um, some were landowners who hired lower class workers to work for them. But even for the aristocracy, it wasn't all money and games for everyone. This was also a time where women could not vote, uh, no matter who they were or what part of society they came from. There were certainly no women in parliament. And the ideal woman of the time was, and we quote, the angel in the house. And her role as a wife should be to support her husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not not yeah. a ton of agency for most women. Not uh, a, a lot of a lot of times, even women who were very educated, the idea was that their education would allow them to entertain their husbands. Right. Play the piano for your husband. <laughs> right. Not so much about actually having creative fulfillment or right. or, or any kind of career path. That you share. Yes, exactly. Right. So Georgiana, as we said, grew up in a very moneyed aristocratic family. Her father, John Fane, also known as Lord Westmoreland, was a British Tory politician who served in most of the cabinets of the period. John Fane was married twice. His first marriage was an elopement because the bride's wealthy father forbid the match. That was to Sarah Ann Child. And they had a son and four daughters. And they seem to have lived, at least on the outside, uh, from the outside perspective, pretty happily until Sarah unfortunately died of an undisclosed condition. And she was only 29 at the time. Yeah, so John, John married again. Um, and his marriage took place in 1800, and he and his wife, Jane, had three sons and two daughters before they separated. And their eldest child was Georgiana. So I want to talk about this portrait that she's famous for. Yes, the five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> it is fascinating, and it is, as we said, of a very young Georgiana. It is said that her mother was very likely the driving force behind it all. So you want to think of this kind of like she was the stage mother, except it was for portraiture rather than <laughs> pushing her into a commercial. And this is kind of a good example of the kind of decadent life and high society that Georgiana was raised in, though. This famous, famous portrait was painted in 1806, while the artist, Sir Thomas Lawrence, was also busy working on two portraits of her father. Right, so why not combine the hours, right? <laughs> Just keep it in the family. So 
This portrait, you can see it easily online if you Google Georgiana. You can see she's very young. Um, she appears barefoot. She's dressed in tattered clothing. And she's, a, she's against kind of a rugged backdrop. And the unusual landscape and choice of clothes were said to reflect the new spirit of the Romantic era. And, and that's the era that peaked between about 1800 and, like, let's call it 1850. So it's the prime of her life. She's born in 1801, right? So this is what she knows. And Romanticism, it was a literary and artistic movement. And you might be familiar with some of the writers of the period, including William Wordsworth and Lord Byron. Uh, it was a time when the emphasis was on you know, individualism and, and emotion and when intellectuals and artists were challenging society. So naturally, it was the time for a five-year-old heiress to dress in rags. <laughs> <laughs> So if that sounds like kind of a weird classism flip of appropriating imagery of poverty and strife to appear enlightened, you are correct. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> it was also really common for portraits to feature the subject as a well-known figure from mythology or fables. And this sort of served as a way to project them as having the qualities of various noble heroes and gods, again, to give people who really probably had not experienced a lot of strife <laughs> that would lead to personal growth in their life, uh, but to give them an association of enlightenment and goodness. You mean it's not easy to become enlightened? <laughs> you just need a portrait, right? <laughs> you just need a pretty painting of yourself dressed exactly. in a, a kind of a tattered dress. Tattered rags. <laughs> <laughs> enlightenment. Yes. So I'm going to do a little side note on our portraiture and talk a little bit about the artist. So the artist, as Holly said, was Sir Thomas Lawrence, and he was self-taught. He was a child prodigy who gained prominence in England as a master portraitist. He became so well-known that he was actually um, a touchpoint for just about all members of the British upper class at this time. For example, he painted a well-known portrait of Lady Carolyn Lamb, who we've talked about previously. His painting of the young Georgiana is still considered a prime example of romantic portraiture. And the trend of placing subjects in scenarios and roles much different from their actual lives. Yeah, Sir Thomas Lawrence is interesting because if you just start to look at the portraits he painted, he's basically done imagery of every famous person from history that was right. in high society in England at the time. He kind of becomes one of those historical nexus points because he knew everyone that you might talk to that was connected to everyone else. So now that we are done with our indulgence in our art history lesson, uh, <laughs> this is a really good time for a break, because when we return, we're going to talk about who the Duke of Wellington was. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. 
Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their Brilliant Eye Brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about the victim, the Duke, and how he met Lady Fane. So until his early 20s, Arthur, as the Duke of Wellington was known then, showed no apparent aptitude for anything, academic or otherwise. Oh, Arthur. (laughs) 
one of the things that came up in research was that the only thing that he really showed any promise in was violin playing. But that also wasn't something that he pursued to the point that it would become a profession or a, a level of mastery. He was, by all accounts, a fairly unhappy and lonely boy. People considered him kind of lazy and awkward. And in fact, he displayed none of the talents <laughs> that would manifest later in his life. He was just a late bloomer. Absolutely, right? I mean, think about it. Like, he's a 13-year-old boy. He sometimes plays the violin. You know, he you don't see him growing up to be a general, maybe. Right? You're not like, he will lead people into successful battles. And his mom. So his mom actually grew increasingly concerned about his laziness. And she is known to have stated on more than one occasion, and we'll quote this, I don't know what I shall do with my awkward son, Arthur. So, oh, mom. <laughs> like, you know? uh, so it, it sounds like his mother never also would have guessed that Arthur would grow up to be the Duke of Wellington, the general who defeated Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. But... Um, that victory that he had as an adult <laughs> helped shape modern Europe, uh, but no one would have expected such influential achievements from the young Arthur. And during his life, he was called, yes, Arthur. Uh, but as he grew up, he was also referred to with a variety of other rather colorful monikers. We don't even have all of them listed. This is just smattering. <laughs> <laughs> so he was sometimes called the Iron Duke. The less flattering old nosy. <laughs> the bow. The eagle. The world's conqueror. He wanted that one on a shirt. He's like, That's big. Yeah. <laughs> and Maria's favorite of the ones she found, the beef. The beef. <laughs> I'm going to go have drinks with the beef later. How could you not love that one? Right? So... That last one is more amusing than true. We don't know for sure that anyone casually would have referred to him as the beef. Right. We know that chefs argue about whether or not it, you know, it was named after him, the Beef Wellington, but I don't think anybody called him beef. <laughs> Listen, beef. Um, <laughs> Come on, beef. <laughs> we will not get into the fact that he is often also confused with the composer Duke Ellington. Yes. Not the same person. At all. But for our purposes, we're just going to prefer to call him the Duke. So we know that the Duke of Wellington became a national hero when he defeated Napoleon, and that ended the Napoleonic Wars. Waterloo was actually the last battle for both of those men. The Duke's military achievements, even prior to that famed conflict, earned him knighthood in 1805. So um, for time frame reference here, Giorgiano was still just a really little kid when he was getting that honor. In his lengthy military career, he won something like 32 to 60 major battles. The sources tend to disagree on which number of that is true, but they don't disagree on this. He was never defeated. And after Napoleon was exiled in 1814, the Duke served as the ambassador to France. And that is where he was given his Duke title. So the Duke was also something of a ladies' man. Both romantically and just as good company. He was like a, a gent that women like to hang out with. Mm -hmm. He was said to have had a, we quote, vigorous sexual appetite outside of his marriage for many decades. And in particular, he really liked smart women who were also easy on the eyes. No one now or then is surprised that the British lampooned him for it because it doesn't sound like he was terribly careful about it. I don't think he was <laughs> candid. I never got that feeling. 
Though he had he had many affairs. It was Georgiana, Lady Georgiana Fane, who was his most persistent female admirer. The two first met in Paris, actually, and they danced at a ball after his victory at Waterloo. And this was in 1815, so that would put uh, her at 14 and him at 46, maybe 47. Um, During her 20s and 30s, their relationship did become romantic in nature. And this would be a romantic relationship that went on to haunt him for literally the rest of his life. Um, We're having a little foreshadowing here. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. So just not to take away from the fact that he was, you know, a roving, (laughs) a roving gent. When he met Georgiana, and when she was still a teenager, that was not a romantic involvement. It was, it might've been for her an imprinting experience, but he wasn't, he wasn't like skeeving on a teenager at that point. He waited till she was 20. Right. Which has its own weird stuff. There's baggage no matter how you slice it. Yeah. So the Duke of Wellington did become fond of his young aristocratic admirer. And despite his marriage, as Maria said, their friendship developed into romance. And the two began to exchange letters. Suggestive letters from Wellington to Georgiana still exist today that confirm that the two did have a sexual relationship in the 1820s. So the Duke's wife, the Duke's wife was named Kitty, and she passed away in 1830. And when that happened, Georgiana and several other, a good handful of other high society women, really stepped up their game in regard to their interest in the Duke, all doting on him and hoping to become his new wife. And so when Georgiana was rebuffed by him, she refused to accept this rejection. And instead of walking away and moving on with her life, she instead harassed him. And like I said earlier, actually until the day he died. It's interesting to note, right? Like we should remember when we talk about how coveted he was Mm -hmm. as a widower. Like, remember, this is a hero of the country. He's a war hero. There were he parades had a way with women. Mm-hmm. So, like, it it's not surprising that immediately everyone was like, I would like to become the next Mrs. Wellington. Thank you. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and it is, it is said in Georgiana's case that, like her mother, she had what was often called, and we quote, a lively disposition. But she was also described throughout her life as being really quite highly strung, and we quote again, possibly to the point of neurosis. She was often described as being chronically ill because of this, and it was believed that her disposition was, quote, almost entirely nervous. So you could see where someone with that disposition might fixate on someone who danced with them when they were 14. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to take a quick sponsor break. And when we return, we will talk about how Georgiana's letters started to turn a little more hateful. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. 
For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk next about how the Duke begged Georgiana's mother to help him. So it might be easy to imagine Georgiana as a lonely girl who became fixated on the only man who ever paid attention to her. And that would fall right in line with a lot of the fiction stories you might see about stalkers on TV or in the movies. But when it comes to Georgiana, it it doesn't actually hold true at all. No, it was not as though she was not receiving attention from other men. And in fact, marriage proposals from other men. Henry John Temple, also known as Lord Palmerston, for instance, proposed to Georgiana twice, but she turned him down twice. (laughs) And we we do not we do not know for sure why, aside, of course, from her obsession with the Duke. But there is another spanner in the works because we know that Henry was also having an affair with her married half sister, the Countess of Jersey at the time. Obviously, there's a lot of intrigue going on, uh, so you could draw your own conclusions. The course of true love never did run smooth, if we want to <laughs> borrow from Shakespeare, and seems especially the case in this particular social circle. 
It does. It really does seem to work well for these this group. <laughs> um, so by the mid-1830s, Georgiana had begun to make life a big, big misery for the Duke. He had grown uncomfortable with the tone of her letters, and they were becoming increasingly persistent about their relationship. She also frequently waited for him to come out of church service and wasn't above making a scene about how all she wanted from him was the kindness she believed he refused to give her. The more the Duke turned away from her, the more Georgiana's affections began to turn into hate, and she began to bombard him with bitter and abusive letters. And her correspondence, which interestingly enough was all written in the third person... I agree. I thought that that was odd. (laughs) Continued. Uh, It was and it wasn't just about unwanted letters, though. So Georgiana was just sending letters, but she was doing a lot of things in them that were very troubling. She threatened that she was going to sue the Duke for breach of contract because she believed that he had promised in his letters that he was going to marry her. And then, of course, he did not do so. She also threatened to publish the love letters that he had written to her, which, by the moral standards at the time, would have been an absolute national scandal. To have a war hero's, a famous war hero's letters to the various women that he had romantic entanglements with would have been just... Many pearls would have been clutched and many fainting (laughs) couches would have been called for. (laughs) Smelling salts. Bring them, please. Um, The Duke, though actually was no stranger to threats regarding his romantic affairs. Uh, For instance, in 1824, he had another affair and it came back to haunt him. And he received a letter from a man named John Joseph Stockdale. And John Joseph Stockdale was a publisher who was offering to refrain from releasing the racy memoirs of one of the Duke's mistresses, a woman named Harriet Wilson. And he said he would do it in exchange for money. So we might just consider that Mr. Stockdale was trying to blackmail the Duke at this point. Um, But the Duke, it's rumored, replied, um, and his quote is, publish and be damned. So we did come across a minority among historians who don't believe that he wrote such a thing at all. But um, there is the side that who believes that he did. And uh, I like to think that the Iron Duke did write that. <laughs> yeah, he may have thought his reputation was above tarnish at that point. But we are lucky enough that one of the Duke's letters still exists today. This letter was written in October of 1851. So make note that at this point, the Duke was 82 years old. And that letter was discovered in 2002 at Fullback Hall, which was the Fane family's home for more than 400 years. But this letter was not to Georgiana. It was, in fact, to her mother, begging her to please put an end to her daughter's obsession and the unwelcome correspondence that she kept sending the Duke. Wow. This letter opened with, My dear madam... And then it went on for four pages. <laughs> but it starts with, I have long had it in contemplation to appeal to your ladyship and to request your ladyship's interference with your daughter, Lady Georgiana Fane, to prevail upon her ladyship to cease to molest me with daily vituperative letters. <laughs> wow. So he he also addressed the alleged breach of contract in regard to marriage and quote said you have been misinformed there is nothing of the nature of a misunderstanding he described georgiana's actions as extraordinary and went on to say that she we quote 
betrayed such lack of good faith that it was impossible for him to continue any acquaintance. But see, there was the problem of the letters that she was sending, which we've talked a lot about, but there was another problem here. She had begun showing his romantic letters to other people. Right, which he had written years before at this point. Let's go, you know, 40 years prior. (laughs) So not long after contacting Georgiana's mother, I think it puts it at about 30, 25 to 30, right? Yeah. Because it was in the 20s and this was the 50s when he... This is the 50s. Yeah. yeah. So about 30, 30 years. So not long after contacting Georgiana's mother, which was on September 14th of 1852, the Duke actually died. He was 83 at the time. And this followed an incident where he had a stroke. And he should be remembered for more than the two things we talked about, right? We mentioned that he was the general who won at Waterloo and that he was a notorious womanizer, but he was a lot of other things. As we said, long before Waterloo, he was being honored for his achievements. Also, later in his career, the Duke went on to become the leader of the Tory party. And during his time as prime minister, which ran from 1828 to 1830, and then again in 1834, he not only shepherded an important, although controversial, act that allowed Catholic emancipation in Britain, he was also the one who planted the seed that slowly moved the country toward democracy. In 2002, he was actually ranked number 15 in the BBC's poll of the 100 Greatest Britons. There are two things about him, actually, that I found when I was doing my research that actually really had nothing to do with being stalked, had to do with him and what he was like in his life. And one of these instances was about how he really liked to just go to the pub and drink with his friends and laugh and tell jokes and be rowdy until like early in the morning. And the second piece about him that I thought was really interesting was that he he had a penchant for wearing white trousers with a cocked hat. And that was kind of his his style. And I just thought, you could see him coming down the street. Like, you knew the Duke of Wellington was there between his laugh and his pants. He had a signature so, style. I love it. So that's the end of the Duke's life. But let's talk a little bit more about Georgiana, because she did live for 22 years after the Duke died. And she lived with her mother, the Countess, for that entire time. And uh, she never actually married When her mother passed away in March of 1857, Georgiana lived on as the sole mistress of their home, Brimpton, for another 12 years or so. Um, When she died in December of 1874, the value of her assets came to be just under 18 million pounds at today's value. It's always a little rough to estimate between the 19th century and the 21st century, but let's let's say about 18 million pounds. Um, But the estate, she left her estate to her nephew, the Honorable Spencer uh, Ponsonby. It was heavily indebted, but it was his. So, uh, and I don't want to forget about the portrait (laughs) because there's still the portrait at the end of her life. She had it and she willed it to uh, the National Collection. And while it's not on display currently, it is in existence and I believe does go on display from time to time. It's also famous enough that um, prints of it have been on display in other museums and the prints are considered very valuable as well. Yes, yes. And like I said earlier, you can pull it up so easily. All these museums have it online. You know, we can't go to museums right now. So just look on the internet. Praise the museums that have put their collections online. It's right? the best. You can have a pretend visit. A pretend, well, you can have a pretend visit while you drink this drink that Holly is about to tell us about. 
so today's chaser, the context for it is that I was thinking about what a very young woman might think would seem cultured and cool to an older man. I like it. And would also kind of appeal to her own tastes. And it's a very, very simple Mm -hmm. drink, but would kind of represent what she thought was a really romantic, sexy kind of drink. Um, It is called Suggestive Letters. (laughs) It's the simplest thing to put together. It's literally just an ounce of passion fruit liqueur. Oh. Which you can put in a flute or a coupe. I feel like a flute works for this. Because next you're just going to top it off with like four to five ounces of champagne. Yeah. You can give it a quick stir. You can let it kind of mix as you drink so you get to the sweetest part at the end. But to me, I could just imagine her making this and thinking she was the fanciest lady and going to super impress this dude. I think it's funny that there's a drink for her that you get to the sweetest part at the end because you actually get to the most hateful part right. when it actually comes to her. So I- but see, <laughs> I have a theory about her based entirely on just my own conjecture, which is that <laughs> she turned down all of these men. Mm-hmm. She never married, even long after the Duke was deceased and clearly not right. going to be an option. 22 years. I think in her head, she was writing what she thought was going to be her part in history and that people would see her as this icon of devotion. Like they would be like, she waited for him her whole life. Her whole life. And beyond. She loved him so much. Like I think in her head, that's how the story was going to play out. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, to her, that would have been like the coda perhaps recognizing it was not going to happen, she made herself sort of a love martyr in her own mind. <laughs> Strictly my that's theory, the people. That's not... I, I, I like to tag each of our episodes, and that's going to be... Love martyr. <laughs> love martyr would also be a good name for a drink, but since that's the made-up part in my head, right, um, right. and we do know there were suggestive letters, that's why I picked that. So right. I will say this. It is a very delightful and refreshing little sipper. You know, you can have a couple in it. It does sort of taste like that wonderful sensation of falling in love because it's bubbly and it's sweet, but it's soft and yummy. It's good. Champagne is a great thing to experiment with if you like it. Mix a little bit of anything else with it. You get really interesting things. I like to mix a little fireball with champagne. You get something kind of zazzy. I never even thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) This whole show, and that's what blows my mind. Right? Not any of the other crazy concoctions. None of the other stuff. You can put whiskey and champagne together and get a whole new thing. Um, (laughs) But fireball. Oh, my God. Right? Fireball. I have also seen people do like a New Year's Eve champagne cocktail with Goldschlager, which is a similar but sweeter flavor. Um, And it also has that fancy bonus of having gold flakes in it. Gold, right? Yeah. Yeah. New Year's. Got a bottle of champagne and some passion fruit liqueur. You're all set. (laughs) You could could become Lady so-and-so. Yes, you can (laughs) fancy yourself a love martyr. Please don't. Be more healthy. Lady love martyr. (laughs) Thank you again, though, for spending this time with us. We love sharing these stories with you and our wacky cocktails connected to them. (laughs) I love that Maria still looks slightly shocked thinking about whiskey and champagne together. I'm like, two things that I've never mixed. I love whiskey. (laughs)
fireball. I didn't even know. <laughs> Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.